What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 93, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Red Sky. Red Sky. We're an independent podcast, friends. And you can help keep the thing completely independent. We got a little Patreon over there. It's at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate, spelled as it should be. Uh, links in the show notes, uh, and your support helps keep the show going. We still have the uh, we still have the goal. We've had the goal since the beginning, but it's still the goal of uh, offsetting the cost of Zach's computing device. He had to get a new one a while ago, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to have this if that wasn't for that. So every dollar that is received is going against that. Thank you so much to those of you who support the show now. It's fantastic. So thankful. For those of you who are interested... Uh, we got ourselves some little goodies. Uh, typically, I let Zach kind of talk about the goodies. But last week, we threw up on our main feed the first episode of Zach and David's uh, Other Side of the Gate. Um, super fun. I'm so glad that you guys are doing that. And and, and uh, we wanted to kind of let you all get a little peek uh, about what's going on there. So if you like that stuff, go jump on uh, go jump on the Patreon. Sign yourself up. Yep. And yep. Uh, if, if you don't want to or cannot, don't worry. Uh, all the content, as we have said before, we will put on the main feed. It won't be as fast as the couple of week time frame that we did this last one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, we, we don't intend to be all like hoardy with the stuff. So correct it's good stuff yep. and you can find that podcast feed on podcast aggregators on apple podcasts on google podcasts on spotify podcasts and uh yeah so um so zach if somebody wants to uh let them let me know that my segues was just terrible this year how might they uh, how might they do that well okay so just because your segue today was terrible does not mean that your segues always for the whole year are terrible <laughs> <laughs> just want to clarify that so you've got uh, good segues in there thanks. you know those little two wheeled things that you rock and zip around oh town. those things yeah yeah you can take segway tours of chicago or at least you could you can i, I presume you still, still can well not now. well not now but <laughs> <laughs> in any i've case, seen them around yes if if this is ridiculous and you want to tell us how ridiculous we are, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Woo! Woo! Or you can find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. If you follow us on Twitter, that is where you are going to find uh, the fastest element uh, uh, in information that will tell us when the new podcasts come out because Brent does that. Correct. Uh, uh, so that is great there. You can also join the community <laughs> that is growing on Facebook uh, at the Walking Through Stargate page and group. Uh, just recently, we had a newcomer from Germany uh, oh, hey. I am sorry. I am blanking on your name. Uh, uh, I feel bad. But Newbie. in any case, this <laughs> gentleman built a Stargate in his backyard and has some pictures and videos on the Stargate Facebook really? group wow. uh, about that process. And I was just so impressed and flabbergasted by this that uh, I have to mention it right That's now. That's fantastic. Oh, y'all should check that out. Yeah. So... 
Um, we have Facebook. And of course, as Brent mentioned earlier, we have uh, the Patreon. Uh, we've been talking for a while that we are going to kind of rebalance some of the uh, voting systems there. And so uh, I haven't gotten the Facebook or the, the Patreon page updated yet, but that's on my list of things to do in the very near future. Hopefully mm-hmm. today we'll see what happens. Um, so... If you join us at the $3 gate jogger level, you will get one vote a month. That doesn't change. Uh, If you uh, join us at the $10 gate sprinter level, you will get three votes a month. That changes. It was five. Now it's three. But don't worry. This is good. This is good information. It's game balance. Uh, And if you are at the $25 gate marathoner level, because wow, then you get five votes a month. And what do these... And... Uh, what do these votes get you? You can vote on episodes that we have already done and say, Zach and Brent, you didn't talk about this enough, uh, and we need you to review it and re-rate it and all of that stuff. Yep. Uh, then we will do that. Uh, when an episode gets to, now in the past it was 20 votes, and that has changed, and this is where these, so it's 10 votes now. Aha! 10 votes. So, uh, this is uh, good. Uh, It makes those votes uh, worth more for you. Uh, Yes. And we have some episode tallies here, Brent. Oh, boy. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Emancipation has one vote. Thor's (laughs) Chariot has 10 votes. Touchstone has two. A Matter Uh of Time has 12. Uh Uh-huh. Forever in a Day has two. 100 uh-huh. Days has two, Tangent uh-huh. has three, and 2010 uh-huh. has five. Oh. And do you know what that means, Brent? It means we got two of them. It means we have two. That means that we will be... That's actually something that I meant oh, to talk to you yeah. before we started podcasting. Yeah, um, but when we're going to do that. And we yeah. started talking about other stuff, but we'll have to do that. So we are going to figure out when we are going to record and rewatch those episodes. Um, and uh, the plan is to send those out uh, roughly once a month. Uh, yeah. So we've got at least a couple going on there. Uh, and uh, like I said before, those will go directly to the Patreon uh, subscribers. They'll get those first. And at some point in time in the future, uh, probably with this one here, probably around times where you and I take uh, breaks for whatever reason, yeah. mm-hmm. we'll use these to uh, release those to the general uh, Patri- uh, general yeah. uh, Walking Through the Stargate listeners. Uh, so... so- we and we didn't talk about timing, but um, the you know it's basically the beginning of November right now, more or less. And right. so, so we'll probably watch one of those things this month at some point and post yep. it, or you know on Patreon, and probably one next month. Yep. Uh, for December, yeah. yeah. So that gives folks a couple of vote cycles to get another get another episode in that yeah. queue. So to speak, and uh, so you know, you work together with those gate sprinters and joggers. You could easily enough get two or three other ones of those. That's well, right. In Ooh, a couple so months, exciting. A couple of them. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So um, look Woo. forward to that. If you want to jump on the bandwagon again, as Brent said, go to Patreon.com/slash Walking Through the Stargate, and you can subscribe. Um, it's also worth noting. I don't remember what the total is off the top of my head, but if we, when we get to seventy-five dollars a month in pledges, oh, that's right. Then we will also be adding to the mix of these uh, monthly podcasts uh, watching the episodes of Stargate Infinity, which is oh the Stargate boy. cartoon. Oh. Uh, so, uh, so if you want that as well, um, 
you know, we're on our way towards that. Yep. That's that's a thing. We promised to do that. Yep. It's going to happen. So, Brent, mm-hmm. uh, we are on episode 93. I know. And this means that last week we teased this. And where are we in the process of a website? Oh, we're about in the exact same spot as we were last week. <laughs> Uh, Uh, it's good that we gave ourselves as much time as we did (laughs) which is the hallmark of a mature person knowing exactly what you can take care of and in what timeline that's all that's that's absolutely so so i was reading a book and and they were talking about scheduled procrastination Uh (laughs) and so they're like figure out exactly how much time you actually need to do something and then you know mark that on your calendar that date further away than what you need and so that way you know that you have some extra time to procrastinate before you have to really hit the ground running and, and, and going you, you know and i'll i'll take a minute and even spin that idea in a in a in a more societally positive way because we tend to be kind of bag on procrastination one way or the other good or bad whatever but um life happens man yeah. <laughs> like there's the optimal it's it's a little like when you take a look when you take a look when you pull up a map application and you say I want to get to that place over there especially if it's far away and it says it's going to take you 4 hours of driving that's 4 hours of incredibly optimal driving and usually going faster than posted speed limits because that's something that just seems to happen with these apps um that's not real life friends go ahead and put yourself put in a buffer put go ahead and put in a buffer you don't have to double it Although that's kind of a trick I use for like work projects. It's like, look, if, it, if I think this is going to take me eight hours, let's just call it 16 and have ourselves a better day about it. Well, you um, know, Scotty says, how long would it really take? Right. Oh, you didn't tell him how long it would really take. How can you find yourself a miracle worker if you don't tell him? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's it's the Scotty principle. But, you know, there's Scotty principle. But, but there's but there's a little bit of realism in it is like, you know, yeah, if if everything went well and nothing was distracting and nothing came up and uh, and you were operating at 100 percent efficiency, it would take you 30 minutes. So give yourself an hour. Yes. Yep. Yep. Anyway, anyway. Uh, websites. So we're exactly at the spot where we were last week. Um the general idea, though, is that we're going to have ourselves a little fun little website. Uh, it's going to have some mild amount of content, more like a little bit of like, uh, you know, this is what we're doing and this is what we got going on. And maybe as time goes on, we'll build in some more doodads. I have a secret plan, which I'm going to say out loud, which means it's not secret, but it's like it's a great little opportunity to do nerdy things like build in some custom javascript vote counter or something silly like that no promises yeah i'm not gonna promise that at all but like you know i can't do that now um without without said website but uh that's our plan uh so brent but we also have other things too yeah what i am going to challenge us and we are free to fail this challenge but i'll challenge us sure to at least by you know, I think we can fairly say that by next week, we should be able to get things in line so that we have the domain name in place. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. We We've already agreed that. on the domain name. Well, yeah, <laughs> we but we haven't, haven't done actually it yet. purchased the domain name, so we need to do that. <laughs> so, oh, funny. Let, let, let us commit to getting that done by next Sunday. Not next Sunday. Next uh saturday Saturday. when we record next Next and uh then we can uh potentially share that uh if we want um (laughs) 
just you know, we we, we need to give ourselves Only? benchmarks. No, here's okay. Yes, let's do it. But I demand the ability to put that dumb animated GIF. Yes, I say GIF uh, of the construction worker throwing dirt over his shoulder site under construction from like the old GeoCity days. Oh, I want oh, that uh, on our front page uh, for now wh- wh- while we're constructing it. Yes. I absolutely approve a hundred percent. Deal. <laughs> All right. So there you have it, folks. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, we got another thing, too. We've mentioned a few times. Uh, there have been some people that have been taking advantage of it. Thank you very much, folks. Uh, get your phone. Open up your voice recorder. Tell us in a minute your impression of episode 100. The things you like about it, the things that you love or hate, or where you were, what you thought, or when you watched it. Blah. Minute long. We're going to stitch that audio into the show uh, for episode 100. Yep. Thank you very much, uh, as I mentioned, for those that have done that already. And... Um, yeah, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to do it, get over yourself. Open do it anyway. Just do it. Email it to us. Pause this great. podcast right now. Pause just it right now. Just we'll pause it. Pause it. Open we'll, up your we'll voice give recorder. You some time. <laughs> just, you can just record throw that. the thing open. Yep. And okay, welcome back. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much. Awesome. Yeah, that was, see, uh, and that you easy? can email those to walking through the stargate at exactly. gmail.com. Wonderful. Go. Thank you. All right. Uh, Brett. Yes. Shall we look up in the sky and realize that it's not blue, but it is red and talk about this episode now? (gasps) Yes, please. Let's get into it. All right. So the director for this episode is the famous or perhaps infamous Martin Wood. Is Martin Wood the one who also does a cameo with a big wrench? Yes, he does. So So he was... the guy Peter with- DeLuise will yeah. often make a cameo, uh, and he's just in there somewhere. Martin Wood um, is almost always in there, especially by this time moving forward, uh, with a giant wrench, and oftentimes with Sergeant Siler. Yes, which means I am ninety eight percent sure I I saw him in this one working on the doohickey with Sergeant Siler because yep. Siler was holding a big wrench right in frame. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I'm yep. like, "Oh right, big wrench." <laughs> yep. That must be the director. <laughs> yep. And so so you know, he he's got dark hair and he was on yep. uh the other side of this big contraption yes. uh at first and just kind of with his head down walked, yep, working walked away and then kind yep. of yep. 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 Yep, that was Martin Wood. Martin Wood. The teleplay for this episode is by Ron Wilkerson. Mm. And if you haven't heard that name yet, that's because we haven't said it yet. (laughs) Welcome, Ron Wilkerson. Yes, this is his first episode of Stargate SG-1 writing. Uh Uh, He's got four episodes this season and a few others Uh in future uh, seasons. Um, He's most... uh, He's typically a story editor. That's what he really did during the season of SG-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, even while you're a story editor, occasionally you get to actually write a story. Um, from his website, he is a writer, a musician, a producer, director, marketer, and inventor. He's written and produced <laughs> multiple episodes of Stargate, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, and, of course, Stargate uh-huh. SG-1. Gotcha. And also VH1's Strange Frequency. Um, he's published okay. a novel in 2012 called Houdini and Lovecraft, the Ghost Writer. Um, wow, really? Yeah. I wonder, so, okay. 
carrying on. Yeah, I'm just the ghostwriter Houdini Lovecraft. I'm sorry, that was that was a complex sentence that you just said. There's well, a lot in there. Yep, yep. Um, so he has, in terms of next generation, he has three story credits and one writing credit. In Voyager, he has two story credits and one writer credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I googled Ron Wilkerson, the first thing that popped up was a BMX freestyle legend, and it's not him. <laughs> Although, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that would be pretty cool if it turned out to be his, the same guy. Yeah, he gets his best ideas while on the half pipe. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. <laughs> All right, so that is our writer. We do have some guest actors that we need to talk about. Uh-huh. One is Fred Applegate, who plays Elrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, the nice uh, guy. The nice, the, the, nice, the nice guy in charge? Yeah. Yep. Uh, he was born in 1953 in New Jersey. Uh, he's known for the producers in 2005, Stargate SG-1, mm. and Spaced Invaders way back in 1990. Mm. Um, he has been married to Cherie Sprosty, and they have three children. His very nice. first IMDb credit came in 1984 when he played Chubby Bitterman. Uh, in an episode of Remington Steel. <laughs> huh. Okay. All yep. right. Um, other shows that he's been in, he's been in a lot of different things. Uh, from Seinfeld, Night Court, Growing Pains, mm. Malcolm in the Middle, mm. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, etc., etc. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. So, that is Fred Applegate in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. We also have John Prosky, who plays Malchus. He's the uh, malcontent. Yes. Yeah. Malchus the malcontent. Malchus the mal- Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, John holds a BFA in theater from Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers mm-hmm. and an MFA in acting and directing from California State University at Long Beach. Uh, he's been working since 1985. Uh, he has theater credits, including uh, place at such places as the Arena Stage in D.C., the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, Playwrights Horizon in New York City, uh, Delaware Theater Company in Delaware, Wilmington, uh, the Lucille Lortel Theater off-Broadway in the Pasadena Playhouse, and a bunch of others. Uh, mm-hmm. He has worked in uh, L.A.-based companies such as the Echo Theater, uh, Incline the Theater Group, the Critical Mass Theater, and some others. Uh, he has recurred on such television shows as Medium, True Blood, Major Crimes, The Closer, Veronica Mars, Touch, and has guest starred in such shows as House, Fringe, and Frasier. Mm-hmm. He's got lots of stuff. Um, he's got some film credits, including things like Bowfinger, The Nutty Professor, uh, AI which actually was mm-hmm. on the on yeah. list uh, earlier a couple mm-hmm. months ago. Uh, the Hulk, uh, straight out of Compton. Uh, he has taught acting and Shakespeare for underserved youth, incarcerated youth, and students at the university level for uh, more than 10 years. Gotcha. Uh, and so that's sort of one of the things that he does in his professional life is mm-hmm. help with these different groups. So mm-hmm. that is uh, John Prosky. Very good. All right, so we have uh, Brent changing things on my. I know, screen. I know. That's because last. For a loop. So, so you're we're about. So this segment that we're about to go into is things that happen on a day, and I'll let you get into it. But last week we had yeah. a typo, and I didn't realize it until after things. So I just fixed the typo. 
Oh. Oh, okay. So, in any case, the <laughs> air date for this episode was July 27, 2001. Uh-huh. Uh, the number one in the charts in both the UK and the US has not changed a whole lot from Correct. last week. It's You Remind Me by Usher and Eternity, uh-huh. The Road to Mandalay yes. by Robbie Williams. Not Mandaplay. Not, not Mandaplay. Nope. Um, I, I don't know how that happened. It doesn't I'm matter. Going to, it, but, but I'm like, going to blame Google. Oh, it, it so doesn't matter. I mean, it's just it was just a keystroke error or a typo. But like, since neither of us knew the song, it's just like, I yeah. don't know. Maybe it's like a maybe it's a play on words. I don't know. You know, whatever. But yeah, speaking of I so um listeners in the uk well okay listeners who would have heard this song like regularly um as best as i could tell was it really like a nine minute double song that was on the air and oh wow neither song was very fast i mean like it seems peculiar that a number one jam now for two weeks was there something was this the when was the when was the oh, I don't there's something else going on here. There's something there's there's a there's a reason why this why this song is the number one jam. So, yeah, uh, friends, if you could please shoot us an email me, really, <laughs> um, if if this song was on the air and you know why it's a number one song, uh, I was able to figure it out with Bob the Builder back in January, <laughs> but I can't Bob figure out why, Bob the Builder. why this song, because I mean, like I said, I mean, like Eternity is a five minute song. And the road to Mandalay is like a three and a half minute song. Eternity is a real slow one. The road Goodness. to Mandalay picks up, you know, a minute in, but it's not exactly like a banger. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested. I'm very interested. Yeah. Well, as uh, those of you who know Eternity and the road to Mandalay and the history therein are writing now furiously uh, emails to us, explaining all of this to us. Uh, we'll get to the box office this week. Sounds um, good. So last week we had number one was Jurassic Park three. America's Sweethearts was number two. Legally Blonde was three, and the score was four. Well, all of those shifted down one spot. Uh-huh. The number one epi- uh, number one movie this week was Planet of the Apes. Aha! Uh-huh. So there you have it. Uh-huh. Um, those are the movies. So, yep. uh, what was happening about this time? Not a whole lot. It was July. It was summer. Things, you know, July 25, um, OPEC, faced with declining oil prices, uh, agrees to cut crude oil production quotas by about 4% or about 1 million barrels per day. There you go. Um, And so that's that. We've been talking about OPEC a lot lately. Indeed, we have. And on July 29th, a couple days after this episode aired, the 88th Tour de France was run and Concluded. the winner was Lance Armstrong although currently Lance Armstrong uh, this year has no winner because this was one of those ones that he was disqualified for for juicing oh yeah and we're not talking about orange juice or nope. cranberry juice or nope. grapefruit juice nope. we're talking about the bad stuff the bad juice pineapple juice <laughs> what's wrong I like pineapple <laughs> juice <laughs> I just had to pick something that that, pick that something. I hadn't already mentioned. I don't Rune really have juice. anything against pineapple juice. Anyway, so, Lance Armstrong crossed the line first, and then later we were like, uh-huh, about that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. So, we do have some trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
first of all, this first one has to do with some of the scientific inaccuracies of this episode. Uh huh. So yes, yes. Um, any second or later generation star, i.e., a star that didn't wasn't immediately created during the Big Bang. So they were created later. Yes. Will contain varying traces of both heavy elements and non uh, well both heavy elements that are both stable and unstable. Yes. And the amount of given the size of of stars, even tiny itty bitty stars, uh, the amount of plutonium or any other unstable element that you would have to inject into it would be uh, at the levels that, you know, anything that they would have done in this situation could not possibly have uh, created the kind of instability that this caused. Yes. And if it did, and if it did, shooting a rocket at the star with some sort of heavy element that is stable wouldn't solve the problem because the instability would have happened in the center core of the star yeah. and shooting it at the core at the 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 the, the crust for lack of a better term of the star <laughs> uh, is not going to get to the core to do anything about it yes now, in theory, the other way of doing it, which is, you know, stopping the wormhole while it's in the where I suppose that, in theory, could get the McLarium, in this case, to the right place. Um, <laughs> but uh, fortunately, this is an episode that isn't really about the science so much as it is about the story. Yes. Um, Agreed. Also, uh, in this episode, they are talking about, you know, red shifting and then that's killing all the plants. Well, plants absorb red and blue light to perform photosynthesis, which is why they're green, right? They absorb the other ones and they yep. let green out. And that yep. means if it's red shifted, well, they can still eat. Yes, that's... It, um, yes. So, um, while certainly a red shifting star that, that would do some wonky things and instability things to it could probably have some significant environmental issues uh, for various and sundry reasons, hypothetical, that I'm not privy to because I'm not a scientist. Uh, suffice it to say, this particular one wouldn't happen in this mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. But, like we said, this isn't about this. Yes. So, um, also, moving on. Brian Jensen uh, was the guy who voiced Frere in this episode. Uh, and um, he actually played another character back in season one's episode Bloodlines. He was the high priest back in that se that episode. Oh. Bloodlines is the one I believe is when we are introduced to Ryak, and the high priest yeah, is the one yeah, who's yeah, about yeah, to yeah, yeah. In right. put the Primta into Ryak, and then yep. uh, and everything gets all screwed up there. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. So um, during the DVD commentary. Martin Wood talks about this episode, and when he first saw this project, he wanted them to lose. He wanted mm -hmm. them not only to uh, screw things up for this planet, but he wanted the heroes to walk away from this planet with their head down and saying, well, we tried to fix it, and we couldn't, and yep. it's going to suck for them. Yep. Gosh. Yep. Um, but uh, ultimately, he was outvoted. And you have the the ending tag that the the planet was saved in the end. Yep. So, a um, couple things here. Um, 
most of the town was actually on a soundstage instead of outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was parts of it that made me think it might have been a soundstage, but that and yep. the the primary reason for that is because they had to turn the sky red, and it's way easier huh. to oh, have yeah. lights turn the sky red and control it because as the episode progressed uh actually the redness became more and more red um yeah i guess so i thought it was filter action going on but i think that that, there there certainly was some filtering going on there but um even so all that aside uh they were able to do what they needed to do uh better on a soundstage than out in the real world um there were some people who suggested that they just don't show the sky. And uh, Martin Wood's like, dude, the the episode's called Red Sky. We have to show a red sky. <laughs> <laughs> On point. Yeah, um, but it makes sense because they were also still filming at this point, right? They were not shooting on video. They were filming it. And if I they were so. filtering light out, then... Uh, Theoretically, you're exposed. Well, but you probably have enough brightness. Whatever. Um, interesting that they chose to do a soundstage, and it makes sense then that they would choose to uh, just make it easy on themselves by putting uh, gels on the lights uh, and making them red versus trying to filter out every other uh, piece of light out of the lens. Yep. Yep. Um, although I'm pretty sure they did do some filtering. Um that said, yeah. uh, Martin Wood also wanted to try to make this soundstage look more like it was outside. So, among other things, he tried to bring in a couple of trees for a couple of background shots. And also, uh, there was a wagon, a cart wagon, presumably led by a horse that you see just kind of heading off camera in one of the scenes as they're entering the town. Sure. Well, they did not use an actual horse to pull that. Instead, they had uh, Kenny, evil Kenny... Uh, who were and Dave Sinclair, who are the two prop guys, pull the wagon across the set instead, and they're like, "Faster, you mules, get out of the shot!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's delightful. That's um, delightful. Yeah, and then um, at the very beginning, when they did the point of view of them falling through the the wormhole, yeah, uh, they yeah. actually had the camera guy. Uh, Will Waring, who will eventually uh, direct at least a few episodes along the way. I don't recall off the top of my head if he's done that yet. I don't think so. Um, but Will Waring, the camera guy, uh, actually had to kind of throw himself or down and around and, and spin the camera around in various places. Huh. Uh, I mean, make that. yeah, obviously that shot was really well done. And I was kind of yeah. thinking to myself, like, you know, they probably zoomed in a tad and sort of like, oh, I'm falling. But it sounds like, no, they really took a tumble. Yeah. Yep. So, those are my trivia things. Nice. Um, so, uh, Joseph Melozzi, uh, or Melozzi, I'm not certain how to pronounce that now. I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> uh, uh, says this. Uh, Ron Wilkerson's script is a terrific sci-fi tale anchored by one of Richard Dean Anderson's greatest performances. It's a darker side of Jack O'Neill we rarely get to see. Angry, intense, deadly serious. The episode also offers up a side of Carter we rarely glimpse as well, fallible and wrestling with self-doubt. Many layers in this one, and it all plays out in a very counter-Star Trek fashion as the team attempts to force a solution upon a planet's mm-hmm. inhabitants. So. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh, that goof is actually from the last week. I can cut that. Sorry. Gotcha. There we go. No goofs on this one. Nope. All right. Other shall we dig science. into the synopsis? <laughs> yeah. Let's, Other than let's, all of the goofs of the science, there's no goofs. Uh, we're just not. Yeah. No, let's, uh, let's, let's dig into this. All right. Here we go. Bang, boink, oof, oof, oof. <clears throat> What was that? That was the sound of visuals of an SG team being tossed out of a wormhole. They're on the planet Katow. Carter quickly surmises, she's smart like that, that she had to override a few safety protocols to get a lock, and that probably resulted in the unceremonious expulsion from the Stargate. But before they can ponder any further, they are met by a group of villagers led by Elrad. These villagers worship Frere, the Asgard god of the sun and rain. Elrad greets them warmly and is happy to welcome them to his village. He looks at SG-1 and immediately soon assumes that they are elves. Come with tidings from Midgard. Hopefully they're good tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Thank you. Elrad leads SG-1 oh, to the village square. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know that yes. that was like a thing. Yes, exactly. Whatever. Carry Elrad on. leads SG-1 to the village square where they meet another leader of the community. Malchus, the malcontent. I'm, I'm just Malchus. Brother Malchus is suspicious of the elves and generally operates in a constant state of disgruntlement or malcontentedness. Malchus is pretty well convinced that the elves have come to bring tidings not of comfort and joy, but of doom and destruction. And, as if on cue, the sun suddenly shifts significantly to the infrared, making the sky turn, well, red. That's the name of the episode, after all. Yeah. You can't have an episode named Red Sky without the sky being actually red, <laughs> after all. This new development doesn't bode well for anyone. O'Neill wonders if he's having a stroke. Malchus is doubly convinced the elves have announced Ragnarok. Carter worries that their disregard of safety features as they went through the gate somehow caused this predicament. Spoiler, it did. Carter realizes that they must have passed directly through the Katow sun as they went through the wormhole, and somehow some plutonium or something like that, hitched a ride and deposited itself in the sun, destabilizing the nuclear reaction of the Eye of Odin. And this redshift will eventually cause an environmental disaster that will doom life on the planet. Oh, no. Oh, no. But, but this is an Asgard-protected planet. I mean, it, it probably is. I mean, they worship the Asgard, and there aren't any cool rules or anything else. You know, so... Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Katow people happen to have an Asgard phone. Then that they can call up their buddy uh, Thor and get his this whole med worked out. Maybe. Sure enough. When SG-1 enters the worship space for the village, Elred and Malchus are in fact leading the community in prayer and worship, and they're standing next to an obelisk that reminds the team that of the Asgard obelisk that they used in Samaria, which of course is this nice Asgard phone that they can use to call their buddy Thor. SG-1 mm -hmm. asks if they can go along for a ride to talk with Freyr. Elred agrees, and the group is suddenly beamed to a cave somewhere else. They meet Freyr, oh, at least a hologram of the Viking version of Freyr. Freyr says it's going to get scary and you're going to become afraid, but the measure of a people is how they deal with their fear. Malchus immediately believes that Ragnarok is coming and the people need to prepare for the end, or perhaps draw and quarter the elves in a few hours to show that they're bad, we're good, and Ragnarok doesn't need to ha happen right now. Elrad is much more serene. He's troubled by the news, but handles the whole situation and his people with grace and care. Jack thinks Elrad and Malchus's interpretations are a bit overdramatic. Later, SG-1 returns to talk with the Asgard, 
and they talk with the real Freyr this time, as well as the Asgard High Council. However, the message is the same. The Asgard cannot help. Doing so would violate the Protected Planets Treaty and nullify the protection it provides for all of the Protected Planets, including Earth. Despite his best effort, O'Neill is not able to change their mind. If they're going to fix their super-huge screw-up, they'll have to do it on their own. But don't worry, because Carter comes up with a solution. Well, at least a plan. If this was caused because unstable heavy elements were tossed into the sun, then tossing some stable super heavy elements in there will balance everything out. Explaining her pan by mixing her fruit, the team now has an opportunity to fix the things. <laughs> Let's execute the plan. Wait, what is the plan? Hammond, we need a rocket so that we can shoot the stable heavy element into the sun so that it can do the thing with the things and the other thing and everything will be okay. Well, 50% of the time. Uh, rockets don't really just grow on trees. I know, but we need to have one to save the people on the planet. But those rockets are expensive. Uh, how much is the value of a whole village? Okay, here's your rocket. Be careful. I will, sir. Thanks. <laughs> they slowly move the pieces of the rocket through the gate over the course of three weeks and assemble the launch pad and the rocket on the other side. Then they get a sample of Maclarium, a super heavy stable element created artific artificially by Dr. McLaren, who gives it up to them for a chance to see the Stargate facility. Wow. Carter heads to Katow with McLarium. Soon after her arrival, disaster strikes. Malchus and some of his more radical followers sabotage the rocket and launcher, blowing it up. Two members of the SGC are killed. A couple of radicals also lose their lives. O'Neill is super angry. Like, I'm going to kill you for doing this horrible thing kind of angry. Like, I'm losing control of my faculties kind of angry. He tackles Malchus, punches him, and nearly shoots him in the face. Malchus, for his part, is fanatically pleased that destroying the rocket and allowing the will of the gods to be fulfilled was so successful. He is willing to die for his beliefs. Elred pleads for mercy. More death serves no one. SG-1 tries also to stop O'Neill. O'Neill calms down enough to at least release Malchus. But O'Neill is ready to go home and forget about everything. They screwed up. That's true. They screwed up, but they were going to fix it. And then they blew it up. I'm done. Carter, Jackson, and Teal try to convince them to try one more thing. Relocation. Carter also wants to crunch some numbers on another harebrained plan that probably won't work, but it might, so let's try it. Daniel tries to convince the people to relocate to another planet, but they don't buy it. They'll stay and prepare themselves for the end if that is Freyr's will. Jack is still torqued off because Daniel did not say what needed to be said. Jack gets on his soapbox. Well, it's a box at least. Uh, in the town square and tells everyone that the Asgard are aliens. They're not gods and that they don't care about the people. They have the power to fix things, but they won't do it. They have a spaceship like, like the one we were building, but way cooler and not blown up. But even with these words, the people are not convinced. They will stay and trust in Freyr. Their faith is stronger than O'Neill's doubt. And Elred also asks them to please stop talking. Meanwhile, Sam crunches some numbers and thinks they can send the McLaren through the gate and shut it down before the matter reintegrates on the other side. And if they time it just right, the McLaren will find itself in the sun and the day will be saved. How often? Well, 1% of the time. That's not as good as 100% and certainly not good as 50%, but they don't have a rocket anymore. Uh, they don't grow on trees after all, but 1% is still better than 0%. So let's, let's try it. They make the attempt. 
They return to the planet to see if they were successful. The people are prayerfully waiting for Ragnarok. The sun did not change back to normal. Their attempt failed. Daniel joins in the prayer with his own call for acceptance of his will, for mercy, peace, grace, all of those fun things. He, and then he offers them one more time to consider relocation. But before he can finish his words, O'Neill apparently has another stroke and the sun is restored. The Yay! day is saved. But, but it wasn't SG-1 that saved the day. Was it perhaps the Asgard who used their second meddling attempt as cover to actually fix things? We will never really know for sure, will we? The end. The end. So Brent. Yeah. Red Sky. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? <clears throat> so I will uh I will freely admit that the the sciencey parts, the 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 errors in the sciencey parts, though while I was not uh, as specific as what some of those goofs were talking about, they were not lost on me. Uh, that how this whole situation came to be was a bit preposterous. Uh, that the solutions proposed were a bit preposterous. But uh, if you recall, we are watching a television science fiction program. And as it happens to be with television science fiction programs, they genuinely have trouble with some core scientific aspects. For example, let's just go through a few. Sound in space. Explosions in space, which can happen, but usually they probably wouldn't look like what you see. Orbital what? dynamics. Uh, time spent here, there, and everywhere in space. Uh, yeah, we've had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of scientific inaccuracies in Stargate. And guess what, friends? There are dozens and dozens and dozens of scientific inaccuracies in Star Trek. Like, a bunch. Half the reason why I was so flippin' impressed with BSG when it first came out was that they kind of did that thing where you see the ships do the flippy-doo and they don't seem to, like, turn like a fighter, like a fighter jet. Like, it's not a dogfight in space. It's actually like, you know, you're in space. It's like but playing then they asteroids. But then they would do the thing where you could hear the guns going, and it's like, you can't hear anything in space. Anyway, um, which is why that one scene, the, the real quiet scene in one of the Star Wars movies was really uh, also, I was like, oh, but I get it. They were doing that for dramatic effect. But anyway, um, what, what am I driving at? I'm driving at this. Uh, so this episode was delightful. It was delightful. And the reason why it was delightful was that it was scratching a couple of particular itches that I have. Number one. I really like when television shows do a, uh, a what if game where they say to themselves, imagine a Scandinavian culture that has progressed. What would it look like? Uh, we would see that story in Stargate kind of regularly-ish in season one and a little bit in season two. And it kind of it dropped away. Right. But we're, but we're coming back to that. Uh, this episode is very episodic. There's some stuff there at the end, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But there's some stuff at the end which ties back into a season or a series-long part of the story. But this one was feeling right at the beginning and in all the way through it like this was going to be a, a, a an encapsulated story, and I liked I liked that. Like it's there was a little bit of like a return to some of the some of the m more interesting parts of the of the series back towards the beginning. 
you know, a little story of what if, a little tightly encapsulated thing, a little little problem of the day. Okay. I was really jamming on the elements. Uh, bad pun. Um, I was really jamming on the aspects <laughs> that were thwarting the SG1 team. The, the the very things that you were kind of mentioning, and it was also kind of mentioned that uh, Martin Wood wanted to make this a story where SG1 doesn't win. Right. Like it was clearly getting set up for that. Uh, and yeah, it was also, you know, it was, it was an unsurprising, but satisfying. I thought it was satisfying moment where indeed it all turned out. Okay. In the end. Um, but we, we don't often get to see, uh, SG one making mistakes and having that come to haunt them. We'll see them getting thwarted, but they'll get thwarted by circumstance or they'll get thwarted by, uh, an enemy, um, but it's rare that we, and I don't, I actually can't recall us seeing SG1 getting thwarted by themselves. Uh, and right. here we see that right. it, it, yep. it, deeply. Uh, and then there was the other part, the, the, the thing that I really liked, which was the philosophy part of it. This was a story that kind of asked the question, what's the harm in believing in something, even if it's true, even if it's genuinely false. And I like that question uh i i like how sometimes science fiction will try to tackle that and what they'll do often is kind of take a paternalistic view and go look at these look at these silly people for Mm -hmm. believing in something (laughs) if only if only they had intelligence (laughs) but they don't so i like that this was a story where it was like the story was very very clearly outlining what is and what was not and very clearly putting the people of the village in the category of believing in something that was not but it seemed to take that question seriously and it was less about i was given the impression that it was for them less about what is or what was not but what what but but what beliefs made them feel whole and i liked that they went that direction with it that daniel jackson was the one at the end who was like yeah sure he threw a little bit of of quasi mysticism in the there like you know i guess we'll never know uh, but it was it was his sort of like refusal to keep drinking the um, uh, the O'Neill Kool Aid and to engage these people on their own terms in a way that's like yeah you know in this moment uh, let's offer a prayer uh, in this moment the end is the end is here uh, and how we face the end uh, matters and but it only matters to us because we're the only ones who are ever going to see it and this is what it's going to look like uh, I like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think it got cheapened when the sun stopped being so red. Like I, you know, it was a little bit of like, yeah, it's saved. But like, I didn't feel like I was robbed of anything. It because because for me, it was much less about the sun turning red, and much more about this question of of faith, belief, rationality, evidence. Uh, you know, and that was something that I was really jamming. So yeah, on the whole, I I really had a good time with it. But I had a great time with it because of these sort of like because of what it was able to do for me as I was thinking about it afterwards watching the show itself. I had a good time, but really thinking about the questions afterwards was what I was, was a piece that I was really enjoying. So sure. What about you? What did you think about this episode? Yeah. So this is, this is a hard episode for me to figure out what I think and feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, the, the scientific inaccuracies are, are ones that, that my brain will completely forget about and ignore sure. for the sake of the story. And they do a good enough time good enough job with the story that that I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Okay, so plutonium got into the sun, now it's destabilized, but if we get some heavy elements in there, we'll fix it. Um oh we can't do it with rock, we'll we'll try it with Stargate. Great. No problems. Right. Um and so despite the fact that all of that is scientifically questionable at best, um uh that didn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and as you mentioned, you know, the the faith question, the 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 question of you know you've got um, Elrad and Malchus who are kind of two um, I mean they're both uh, archetypes they're both uh, stereotypes of, of mm-hmm. the type of of folks um, you know I, I wanted to hate Malchus but I couldn't quite um, sure because um, I mean, I wanted because there there's something in him that that uh, speaks to a certain type of faith, mm. um, not one that I find especially helpful in most situations, uh, but it's still there. Um, I know people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Elrad uh, is a great leader. Uh, he is a calming presence in the midst of his congregation, in the midst of his people. Um, which is wonderful. Uh, you rarely get any images of of uh, uh, religious people in science fiction, especially uh, to to have such a, a positive uh, portrayal. Usually, uh, religious leaders have uh, kind of like Malchus some nefarious quality to it and Mm -hmm. you watch this episode and there's nothing about Elrad that you can find is especially nefarious right Um, yeah he he is filled with deep belief Uh, he is kind considerate Uh, he listens to the news okay so this is not the news I wanted Um, but there is trust in that will of Frere Um, and uh, you know I, I appreciate that um I really appreciate the fact that we get to see Sam, you know, worry about screwing things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, O'Neill's response to all of this stuff is very in keeping with what you would expect O'Neill to do, but you don't yeah. see that side very often. Right. Um, uh, I did especially appreciate Elrad's comments to O'Neill. Uh, you know, more violence, more death is not going to help anybody. Right. Um you know, does he deserve it? Well, probably, but right, it's not going to be right. helpful. And I appreciate that. Um, so all of this is going around. You mentioned the 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 philosophy, the theology. Um, you know, the the look of it uh, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also something though within this episode that just like I had a hard time paying attention. Ah, okay. I had a hard time. Now, you know, part of it was probably just where my brain was. I mean, it's been a rough week. Uh, it's been a challenging week. Sure. Um, for hundreds of different reasons. Um, and so I'm physically and mentally tired right now. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure part of it is that. And yet, despite that, I can remember previous times where I've watched this episode. And um, I am, you know, have always been content with just kind of uh, watching it but not watching it mm-hmm. so I, I was str- struggling to stay focused on this episode um, 
And I can't quite pit my, put my finger on why. And, and I don't know why. And uh, because it has all the pieces that I like in storytelling uh, and in science fiction. Um, it's got good pacing overall. I mean, pacing might be a little bit slow here or there um, in times, but there have been other episodes that are even worse paced, and, and I'm okay with that to some degree. Um, so I don't know what it is. Well, it, it, it may be because this... Um, I'm struggling to come up with a perfect analogy. The analogy that I'm coming up with right now is like, like this episode might be like uh, um, some, you know, a, a meal that is uh, that the, the, like the flavors are subtle, but still work well. But that subtlety, the subtlety part is the part where, um, you know, if you're not in the mood for it, uh, it's easy to ignore. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, you know, if a person is not in the mood for a um, an episode that really is about uh, philosophy, it really this episode is about people and their beliefs, and we see two sides with their beliefs, and we are even given the advantage of having absolute knowledge regarding the sort of the scenery of the beliefs, uh, which is a rare treat, right? When you're talking about beliefs, you usually have absolutely no way of having absolute knowledge of it. Right. But here we have it. And, and the treatment that was done was not typical, but it was mature. And as a result, it has a bit of a calmness to it. Even in the moment where O'Neill is losing it and it's legitimate and it's, it's realistic. Uh, like the, the situation of the rocket getting blown up is, is plausible. Granted, lighting a fire under it probably is not what it takes to blow up a rocket. But, you know, again, ignore the details go at the generalities the generality right. is this group of people there was there was there were select members of this group of people that that did not want to have outsiders uh interfere with with their understanding of the universe and so they were willing to take physical action to prevent that from happening because they thought it was right and good they thought it was their calling to do that and i disagree with them all the live long day um, and I would be frust- I would be very frustrated if I were trying to reason with a group with a person that was acting like Malchus or Malchus or whatever his name was. Um, yep. And uh, but so you know, getting it back to you know, why has Zach historically kind of like had the episode happen and been fine with having it on and then you know had an enjoyment of it or you know whatever, but not have his focus like driven in the same way that Brent has. It's because I'm at a spot. If I watched this thing when I was when it came out, I, I was 20 when it came out. Um, I don't know if I would have quite as much of a positive reaction as I do now, right? Like, yeah, I'm 40 now. Uh, you know, I, I'm in a different place in life. I have experiences, and I've had, and I've wrestled with aspects, and I've held questions, and I've 
matured and developed, blah, blah, blah. There was a parts of this episode with the philosophy that I was really enjoying, but it had everything to do with me, my place in life, etc. Like I mentioned, this was really scratching some specific itches and I was having a great time as a result. But you put me in a different time in my life and have me watch this episode, I wouldn't react nearly as positively towards this thing. Uh, I'm going to be, spoiler, I'm going to be giving this a well, uh, I'm going to be giving this a good rating, but I 100% would, uh, or, you know, I appreciate how somebody else wouldn't feel as positively about it. Like the pacing was great, but it was still slow. And the story I thought was wonderfully developed, but it was still frustrating. Um, there was a everybody who lives moment at the end, which was cheesy, but it wasn't too cheesy and it was still plausible. And there was a respect that, you know, they treated the content with this kind of respect, which um, can feel uh, wishy-washy. Uh, they didn't land on one side or the other with this one. They let it hang in the balance where they did that thing. Where they're like, eh, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, <laughs> which is a kind yeah. of a version of the. It's still, a, it's still a riff on that same sort of criticism that I have when there's when cynics are being, uh, you know, where skeptics are being overly confident in their powers of rationality and knowledge. Um, you know, the the the. the 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 person who revels in uncertainty is all also equally frustrating when they sit there and smarmy and are all like I guess we'll never know <laughs> you know like Daniel Daniel didn't say that line like in, in that spirit right um, so but, let me you know. let me interject something yeah. right here because you're talking about that last line so having watched this episode dozens of times uh, I always made the assumption that the Asgard in fact went in there and fixed it. And right. you know, used the cover of their screw ups to to fix it, and, and it's all of a sudden good. Um, as I was listening to the commentary last night, um, that last line about I guess we don't really know for sure what happened uh, was intended uh, to be a line that kind of invites the possibility that maybe it wasn't even the Asgard, that something else that we don't know. Was I, was uh, facilitating the transformation and return of the sun. I I took that line to mean. Uh, I, I thought that line was a really good line. I took it to mean that uh, you know it's an homage to the aspect of uh, all knowledge knowing, which is that there is an intrinsic trust that we have in our capacity to know a thing or not. And when that intrinsic trust is violated, it's extremely jarring. Uh, mm -hmm. It's 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 damaging. It's it's tough. But we hold this faith that we are able to know something, and we hold a faith that sometimes we can know something and sometimes we cannot. And these people are holding a faith in a god that saved them. And our SG-1 team is holding a faith in the understanding that it was the Asgard that finally actually did it because that's the only rational explanation. And Daniel's sort of acknowledging, look, we won't really know. And it was holding a lot of ideas at once. And one, one interpretation that came to me a little while ago was that 
it also could have been that that sun, you know, getting back to the scientific sort of analysis of like, there's no way the introduction of a, such, a, such a such a tiny amount of plutonium would actually cause this whole event from happening, nor the introduction of a tiny amount of maclarium from stopping it. Maybe the sun was doing something and SG-1 just happened to be there. They didn't have anything to do with it one way or the other. Sun was starting to do something wonky. Sun stopped doing something wonky. Weird, probably not accurate, um, certainly not satisfying, but that's also a thing that could have happened that well, they had you know, nothing it, to do with either the creation of the problem or the solution of the problem. Neither did the Asgard. Like, that's a possibility that yeah. they just didn't know. As I'm, I'm chewing on that, I mean, you could even make the argument that, in fact, the, the SGC um, added something unstable to a, a star and caused it to go wonky a little bit. But, I mean, stars are pretty impressive things, and mm-hmm. they last a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I eat some bad sushi, I'm not going to feel good for a while, but then my body's going to get it out of its system, and then I'll be right. fine. Yeah, right. And so, if you look at me in that moment of having eaten the bad sushi, you're like, oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end. And certainly, from my perspective, it's going to feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but give me, you know, a day, you know, a few hours, whatever it takes, and right. my system is going to work itself out and find an equilibrium. Yes. Uh, and so, that's also another possibility in that um, that I hadn't thought of until just now. We don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of what we can or cannot know, um, especially as it relates to sci-fi, mostly because uh, it doesn't make for good story. We, there's, there's an aspect in the same way that we have to be viewing the SG-1 as heroes. Good things happen for heroes disproportionately often. That's why they're heroes. And uh, in the same vein, we kind of have to have a baseline uh, of suspension of disbelief that our heroes are able to know things to be able to exert control over their world around them. Otherwise, this is just a story of of events that just sort of happen and these guys are bouncing right. around. There's no agency in it. There's no control. So, you know, indeed, we do have to have them know a thing or two about how stars work a lot, even though in reality, we literally don't know how stars work. We think we know how stars work, but we actually don't know how stars work. We have lots of evidence, but then we also have other pieces of evidence that are kind of conflicting. Getting into actual like research of how sun burns is pretty flipping cool, and it's really complicated, and there's a whole lot we don't know. That's why we keep sending space missions like to look at it. It's like we, we have ideas. We have really good ideas, but sometimes those ideas don't line up, and sometimes the evidence doesn't kind of sort of show us. We're still in the infancy of knowing what a sun can or can't do. So right. getting back to science fiction and this episode and blah, 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 and the hard science behind it, you know, again, this wasn't about the hard science. This was about the philosophy. And- you know, I'm not sure where I was going with my tear just a second ago. Honestly, I was about to be all like, and so that doesn't matter. Woo! But more along the lines of like, look, there is a bit of truth that we're going to have to believe that that Major Carter knows how sun works. And so therefore she was able to figure it out and blah, blah, blah. And it just didn't work. Right. Like the one percent chance didn't happen. Um, and that something else kind of stepped in and sort of fixed it for them. And we assume it's the Asgard using the cover of SG-1 screwing up to to very cautiously like set things right and then kind of step away. I get it. I'm willing to buy it. Um, But again, this episode, well, okay. This episode for me 
was not even really about the Asgard. And it was barely about the people. It had much more to do with watching philosophy in action. And come on, how many times have I just gone completely just woohoo about a story that does basically that? Like, I'm, yep. this is great. So, um, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Yep. Um, and uh, you made mention earlier that there was some things in this episode, like at the tail end, that you thought had to do with the meta narrative and such. And uh, I just want to give you some space, and I'm curious as to what you have on those thoughts. Uh, meta narrative in what like way? Like for the whole season, like like how this is fitting with oh, other stuff and how it looks yeah. into the future and such. I um, uh, O'Neill threw the Asgard under the bus when he got on his soapbox, like yes. flat out. Uh, I, at the end of the episode, was a little surprised that the Asgard actually stepped in and helped after O'Neill just threw them under the bus. It implies, my statement just now implies that the Asgard have ears everywhere. You know, they might not even heard him say it, but the consequences of telling a group of people that the Asgard are protecting and the Asgard have deemed insufficiently advanced to handle the truth of that their gods are actually aliens. I'm taking that at absolute face value. I'm literally putting no comment on that idea whatsoever because believe you me, we could have another hour. But just take that as written. Um, uh, That O'Neill did that was surprising. And I wonder if there's going to be consequences as a result. Hmm. Um, okay. Uh, another thing was the assuming that the Asgard were actually the people who fixed the sun, which I, I you know, I, tea leaf reading from the commentary about his Daniel's line actually implying maybe some other things. Maybe this will or won't happen. I'm not sure. But point is, when I finished watching the episode, having the Asgard surreptitiously fix the problem at the risk of violating the treaty, I was wondering if that was going to have negative fallout as well. Uh, and not like, meanwhile, the Gould were watching, but more like at some point in the future, we're going to need a reason for the Gould to get bad again and invade Earth. And like, this is the thing that they reference. Like, this is the problem that they're like, the reason we're doing it is because you all as guardians did guardians, um, uh, violated the treaty. And therefore we get free reign over this whole thing again. Like it, it, Uh it was, it felt like it could have been a seed for something like that. Uh, other than those two ideas, um, well, uh, then there's a third idea, but it has it's 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 meta meta, which is um, indeed this was a story where we were watching SG one not succeed, and right. there was f- there were fractures in SG one as a result, and it wasn't bad, and it felt like they were getting resolved and it definitely felt like their bond as friends and colleagues and teammates um, was quite sufficient to get them through to the other side. But in the middle of it, there was some really powerful emotions that were going in very different directions. Um, And, you know, it turns out that it didn't matter. It turns out that they were able to explore a lot of options they, you know, they gave space to each of those ideas, right? And it yep. worked itself out. But, you know, but O'Neill is definitely moving in the direction of like X and Y and Z are. And every time that X and Y and Z are called into question, even if it's for a decent enough reason, he gets frustrated. 
And Jackson is very much like, well, yeah, X and Y and Z are, but if people think that X and Y and Z are not, you got to come at it from the X, Y, Z are not aspect, which frustrates O'Neill incredibly. Um, yes, it does. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, Carter as, um, you know, Carter as always coming up with the solution person and then being in a situation where that's kind of thwarted. Uh, you know, like it was, it was interesting to sort of watch her sort of wrestle with that. Now we didn't get to see it an awful lot. It was much more, I got to see O'Neill wrestle with being frustrated with the people who won't accept the truth. And I got to watch Jackson wrestle with uh, trying to navigate uh, a complex situation within the framework of the people's understandings. I didn't really get to see Carter really kind of grapple with the fact that she had a solution and it failed. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, but that was a piece of it too. And, you know, and unfortunately, and then there's Teal'c, like I kind of, especially in this episode, I felt like he was an also ran. So um, this, I mean, Teal'c up to this point has been a mostly stoic, mostly silent character, right? Right. Uh, uh, Teal'c's, his, you know, he, he just does his thing and he stays mostly silent um and will speak when necessary um and and that actually makes for a great character uh but in an episode like this it makes it hard to engage that character more explicitly because you got 44 minutes yeah and you know yeah with everything else that was going on um you're right. He he did feel like he was underserved in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, well, Brent, we yeah. could probably talk about this for quite a bit longer than we have. Yep, I think so, too. Um, but I think it's also time for us to move on. We've chewed on this, and mm-hmm. uh, I would like to know, uh, you've hinted already what your Chevron rating is going to be, but I would like to know exactly how many Chevrons you will Let's give Red Sky. Yep. So for me, um, for me right now, the question is, do I call this uh, an example of the height of television or not? Like, that's where I'm at. Do I expect other people to be as highly rated? No, I really don't. Um, But I really, really liked the treatment of the question. And I liked the question. And it got me thinking. I've been thinking about this philosophical question for hours and hours now. And I got to talk about it for another hour. and yeah, there were scientific flaws, but pfft, whatever. Um, I'm willing to roll with it. And uh, nothing about this episode really tripped and fell. I mean, even the everybody lives moment at the end, which is like cheese supreme. I don't know. It didn't feel too bad. Felt pretty good. Um, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go bold. I'm gonna give this one seven out of seven chevrons. Like Ooh. I would absolutely watch this one again and probably enjoy the snot out of it a second. Well. Bold, seven out of seven. Yeah. This is the height of television. This this was a good one, man. I'm okay. willing to stand by that one. Yeah. Um, so this is not a seven for me. Nah. Like, uh, fine. This is yeah. This is an episode I think there's just something and I I still can't put my finger on exactly what it is. Um and and because even this conversation, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and and it feels even better now than it was before so Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is uh but i I still have to just kind of sit with with where my my gut was as i look at this yeah 
Um, and uh, so this is still going to be a relatively high, but it's not going to be like super high. This is going to get a four and a half for me. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, this is way better than average, uh, way better than, well, at least way better than 50%. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, I think my average is probably about a four and a half. So maybe it is average. Uh, I haven't actually looked through that. Um, That's a but, good way to look at it, there. Uh, but actually, you know, if, if I'm going to love a show for 20 plus years, um, then darn tootin' the average episode better be better than just uh, kind that's of a, a good point. middling yeah. 50%. Yes. yes. Um, so, uh, but I think this is a four and a half for me. Um, I, I can appreciate where you're coming from and, uh, you know, and I can see that seven, uh, but for me, it's not quite that, that yeah. big. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, shall we dig into our predictions? Yes. I okay. bet you that more people are going to be in your camp than mine, for sure. I bet you that right. most people watch this episode and they go, yeah, that's fine. That could be. Well, we'll find out. We will okay. find out. We'll start with uh, Facebook. Yeah. We have Adrian. Hey, Adrian. Um, and uh, I think this is the first time I've seen Adrian. So welcome, I, Adrian. Welcome, Adrian. Predictions. Uh, yes. He is very simple with this and says, Zach, five, Brent, four. Okay. Middling. Mm-hmm. Middling. Um, and then, Very close to Zach's mark, though. That's for That's true. That's very true. All right. Next, we have Justin. Hi, Justin. Doom. Three weeks later, boom. 11 seconds later, no boom. <laughs> Katow. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. The Asgard work in mysterious ways. Uh-huh. This has been a recording. Uh, yes. <laughs> I will give you a generic message and give you a vague understanding about what I'm about to say. Do well uh, or else it will be go poorly. Suffice it to say, Brent or Justin does not think well of this episode, at least in no. what he thinks we'll think. He thinks I'm going to give this just a three. Ooh. And he thinks that you will give it slightly better at a four. Uh-huh. Well. Yeah. This, this it, it kind of brings back to that, like, why am I so excited about this one? It's because it was a little mini philosophy paper that I had inside my head. <laughs> like, philosophy papers do not make good television, but I love yeah. them. So- <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, All right. We have another newcomer this week. We have uh-huh. Lisa. Hey, Lisa. So she says, so I've never made a prediction before, as I'm usually rubbish at trying to guess where you guys will rate things. Sure. However, today I thought I would give it a go purely to be podcast famous for just a little while and hear Brent say, hello, Lisa, or hi, Lisa. <laughs> so give it to us one more time, Brent. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> so she says, this episode may give some grounds for a good decision, but on a whole, it's just okay. So I'm going to go for fives all around. Yeah, not a, yeah, yes, yes, not a bad right. not a bad starting point. Not a bad one. Yep. JD says, "Hi JD. I had to watch the trailer and read the IMDb page to remember this one." <laughs> <laughs> the best part is more Asgard lore. Uh yes. Yes, you know, yes. And, and actually, I do appreciate the Asgard lore. I, I like yes. knowing a little bit more about them, uh, to know that the, some of the complexities of that, uh, 
the treaty that prevents yeah. them from doing something. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he says four from both of you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, Brent, you predicted that most more people are going to be kind of in my camp, kind of mm-hmm. in that space. And, yep. and I think uh, that is what is happening here. Yes. We have Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Stuart is one of our uh, gate uh, sprinters. Hey! So, thanks, Stuart. Nice. Uh, the episode has everything. Norse mythology, Asgard yes. legalism, a rocket yes. load of techno babble, questions yes. of religion and faith, lots of yes. Jack being Jack, and to top yes. it all off, a literal deus ex machina, all wrapped yes. up in a good story. Probably shouldn't make any my first prediction on one of my favorite Stargate episodes, but... Uh, so this, oh yeah, this is Stuart's first prediction. So we hey! have another firster. Nice. Yeah. Um, he predicts that I'll go five and a half and Brent will go six. Yeah. So, um, he goes a little bit higher than me. Yeah, and, that's right. And that, um, and as he mentioned, this is one of his favorite episodes. So, mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. uh, then we have Julie. Hi, Julie. Julie says, it's a good story, but a bit slow for me. Zach five, Brent five question mark. Yep. Yep. Um, and literally, sense. as I was reading these... Uh-oh, something popped in. Kimberly Hi, popped Kimberly. in with her predictions. Ah, uh, lucky duck. So I you just got, just in, under got the wire. in under the wire there, Kimberly. Congratulations on that. She says, consequences to taking jaunts through the Stargate. More Asgard lore. Jack being yes. Jack and Daniel being Daniel and Sam yes. being the subordinate officer doing as ordered. No real impact to the meta story, though. Fours for everybody. Fours for everybody. That's sensible. Like, if somebody were to say this is a four, I'd be like, yeah, I can, I can, I can see how that. Yeah. In the same way, Zach, you were saying, like, you've seen this a lot of times, and each time you're like, Meh, it's fine. By yeah. the way, we didn't even get into Richard Dean Anderson, like, tearing it up as O'Neill. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. This was, this was great. This was great. Watching him at, oh my gosh, there was so much good stuff. Yes. Is Thor here? Thor's not here. Can I talk with Thor? (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was really good. It was good. Yeah. And for that scene, when he was in the the chambers Mm -hmm. of the Asgard chambers, um, so a Richard Dean Anderson loves to act with the puppets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet in that scene, he was literally acting to a green screen. He was acting uh, by himself yeah. in a room, so he didn't yeah. even get the puppets, and he had to do all oh. of that by himself. And Richard Dean Anderson, as an actor, loves to play uh, in the midst of interactions with others. That, that's yes. one of his, his things. He likes and loves and really gets the best things when he gets to interact with others. Yep. And he didn't get any of that for that scene. No. Well, that was, but he still did a good job. He did. We have some emails emails yes we have caleb hi caleb caleb says great episode to see mm-hmm. the asgard again and what consequences can happen when you bypass safety codes mm-hmm. I guess yeah. is zach five brent uh-huh. six hey right on so so you I mean, know you like were talking right on, about right on, uh, but, you know, know your your opinion your thoughts that maybe this is uh, kind of a middling episode that you're just really jamming on. Uh, yeah. You know, there's some flexibility there. There are some people who really, really appreciate this episode too. Yeah. We have David. Hi, David. David says, this is a Ragnarok bias buffer. <laughs> Does this mean that you're, this is like the end of reviews? Uh, you know, there's one more after. Oh, I see. 
He stands by my three chevrons from last week. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I approve of your position. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but he likes this episode. Uh-huh. He says, a new Asgard, a furthering yep. of the protected planet's treaty concept. Yep. The growing friction between Jack and Daniel. Yep. Another oops, we messed up and nearly doomed another planet story showing that SGC is still a bit in over their heads with all this, mm-hmm. let go, let's go there and see what happens kind of stuff. Yeah. All that and elves too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Grant will give this six chevrons for SG-1 being called elves. <laughs> That's why I gave it the seventh. There you go. Uh-huh. And Zach will give it five and a half chevrons because they didn't say what kind of elves they were. High elves, yeah, wood, high elves, elves wood elves, dark, elves, aquatic. Right. He dr- needs answers dr- if he's going to run this campaign. There's some truth to that. Yep. Uh, speaking of campaign, uh, the Star the Stargate role-playing game that was on Kickstarter just recently concluded with a very successful campaign. Oh, and, hey, uh, nice. I ordered one of the books and ah. all of the other bits and bobbles that go with it. And uh-huh. as we mentioned a long, long time ago, if I could ever get the books and get my act together, then perhaps we will get a group together and do a campaign or two yeah. and maybe even record that for your listening pleasure that there's a lot of ifs and buts in there there's and also there the the hesitation on my end are twofold number one spoilers want to avoid spoilers and thing number two editing yeah editing that might be a real brain (laughs) so so yeah good idea (sighs) maybe live stream it maybe just do that Oh, maybe live stream. There you go. Yeah. Um, incidentally, um, Mm. there, this particular book, uh, does have, um, uh, kind of a, a, a campaign in it that you can get aspect, you know, and that'll be growing and developing, you know, kind of as a, as a season of television. Yeah. Okay. And the setting for that is right around the sixth season of Stargate SG-1. So I, I, almost there. So by the time the book comes out, which is supposed yeah. to come out like next April or something like that, uh-huh, if uh-huh. everything is on time, uh, we will be well and truly through almost all of season six by that point in time. So you shouldn't have to worry too much about spoilers. There you go. And there, there you, you have it. We have one more prediction. Okay. This is from Tim. Hi, he Tim. He is, I believe, a first-time predictor. Ah. Although... Um, This is also my brother. Hi, brother. Hi, brother Tim. My brother Tim says, if you both like the open-ended aspect of the end, I think it will get sixes from both. Yeah. If uh you uh don't, I would guess five from Brent and four for Zach. Use the sixes all around as my official prediction. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, so so you know, as a general rule, I appreciate the end of that, but there was just something in there that uh, gave me closer to that four. So there you go. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So those nice. are our predictions. We have some excellent new people coming in. So welcome, new yeah, people. Yeah, that was a lot uh, of fun. I always I appreciate listening to those and hearing what they have to say. If you think we got these predictions wrong, then by all means, join us on the Patreon and vote for a rewatch of this episode. Brent will each actually appreciate getting a chance to rewatch it. And then I... we'll have more time to talk yes. about it. <laughs> all the things that we didn't get a chance to do now. Zach, you and I never talked about uh, setting up rules as to who can subscribe to Patreon. I wonder if I can subscribe to our own Patreon. 
throwing votes. <laughs> well, oh, look, it's it's Red Sky again. Oh, <laughs> but, so well, strange. Well, Brent, if you want access to all of that Patreon exclusive <laughs> material, <laughs> then I know where to sign up. <laughs> then you know where to sign up. It's patreon.com slash walking through the story. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would expect nothing less than the uh, gate marathoner level for you. Hey, I'm a supporter of the show, man. Hey, absolutely you are. (laughs) The show would not happen without your support. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, me. (laughs) You're welcome, you. (laughs) I'm welcome. (laughs) Yes. uh, Oh, hey, what? uh, What? What are? Yeah, what are we doing next? uh, Next week. So next week, Brent, uh, yeah. we are going to talk about the episode Rite of Passage. And uh, I ask you what Rite of Passage is all about. Um, let's see here. Uh, unfortunately, so after Sergeant, Sergeant's the top, you, the Sergeant is the top rank you can be for being non-commissioned. What's the lowest commissioned officer rank in the Air Force? Uh, uh, Lieutenant, second class. Is it Lieutenant? Lieutenant? Wow. Okay. Well, you got right. lieutenant, lieutenant, major. Lieutenant. No, you got lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant, colonel, colonel, general. Lieutenant. And you got your various general versions. Here we go. Right here. Here we go. So, next time on Stargate SG One, the SG One team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world, and that's the last we see of them for this episode. Pan over to Sergeant Radar. Indeed, Sergeant Radar has been on our radar for a long time, and all this time we've uh, wondered what is his actual name. Uh, Harold? Is that right? Walter. Merriman? Walter. Walter Harriman. Her- I-, I got close. Sort of. Anyway, Walter Harriman. Hey. <clears throat> all this time we've been wondering a little bit about Walter Harriman's life. What is it like? What does he do for fun? What hobbies are he in? Are he into? Uh, can Brent speak English? No. Let us take a, a, a moment here and enjoy some time as he is being, he is studying to be promoted to lieutenant. But before he can be promoted to lieutenant radar, indeed, he has to go through a rite of passage, which involves aliens. <laughs> and a cream pie. I am not sure because I don't know what the rites of passage are from becoming a sergeant to a lieutenant in the Air Force and specifically the Stargate Command. So join us where I can find out what are indeed the rites of passage. Although in this case, it's just singular. Right. Just a single right. Passage. Just, just the one. Just the join one right. Us. All right. Yeah. Well. Is this one going to be about radar? Um. No. Oh, come on. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, fine. But it is about a rite of passage. Because uh, that's what the title is. Yeah, okay. Yep. Shall we watch the promo and find out? Yes. Let's watch it. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm hitting go now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Hey! Oh, Cassandra Frazier is going through some unexpected changes. Wait, what? Wow, she can do that. Talk about a kiss. 
No kidding. A search for answers leads them to Cassandra's home planet and a shocking revelation. I believe we're gonna go our laboratory. Uh-oh. Uh-oh! Mirti. Is there a cure Mirti. for her afflictions? Cassandra, what are you doing? Oh, honey, you're not well enough to go anywhere into the forest. Nerdy cured him? It helps to do this. How? No, she killed everyone on this planet except Cassie. Why would she cure a bunch of kids? And what will they risk to save her? Whoa! It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Okay! Hello! Alright! I'm looking forward to that! It's well, Cassie again! Yeah, we gotta see Cassie again. Um, incidentally, the actor there who plays Cassie is not the little girl who played Cassie the last time we saw her. I was but wondering. she is the girl who played um, the one in your favorite episode, Bane. Uh, is she wait a minute. Is she the is she the twerp kid whose dad's a cop? Yeah. Well, dead cop. Dead cop. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's the same. It's awesome. the same actor there, uh, and of course, it's the character of Cassie. So, yes. there you have it. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah. good. I'm glad, I'm glad we get to see Cassandra again. Yep. Uh, give a special thanks here again to David for putting yeah, the promo you, together. Appreciate that every time. Uh, at this point in time, I invite you, dear listener, to tell us what you think of this episode. Tell us what you think about uh, whatever else is going on. Uh, yeah. Email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Uh, go to the Facebook page and like and subscribe or whatever it is that you do on Facebook. Do Follow, the I guess. Things. I don't know. Uh, and, and join and, and the things and the other things. Positive and, jams. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, by all means, send us those thoughts on the 100th episode of Stargate. Yes! Um, or Do it. our 100th episode. If you want to just talk to us, who cares? Whatever it is, just, just share your thoughts. This sure. is your chance to this become chance. podcast famous. Yeah, you could be podcast famous. Podcast famous, it's a thing. In any case. <laughs> I mean, it is a thing, but it's also, you know. It is a thing. There you it's go. It's a thing. So, Here's your chance, friend. With that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. This has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it oh, up. Get these and people that home. And tags from this episode. Woohoo!